As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm joined now by Alex Stewart. Good morning, Joe. Good morning and Seb Stafford-Bloor. Morning, Joe. Yes. Well, don't lie with the tone of your voice, Seb. We both know how unhappy you are because uh, mostly we talked today about Arsenal Tottenham. And I could hear you tried to uh, muster some enthusiasm, a little bit of gusto there. Uh, Failure, failure. You're unhappy. Just accept it. Uh, (laughs) What was that noise? That's that's my door. Bear with me one second. I'll be back. Don't worry, we're used to Alex not being here, so it's no problem. Uh, I'll continue as normal. Uh, Arsenal 2 won Tottenham. We talked about the, the North London derby. We talked about whether Spurs' improvement is real or not. And also we talked you know, a little bit about uh, Manchester United, West Ham, Fulham, Manchester City, a couple of bits from Europe, and we got the uh, the quotes and facts database too. Um, uh, anything else, Seb, that I've missed? Uh, you did your new acronym... I don't think we have a title for that little segment, but we did. Oh, yeah, Joe's NLD new, acronym bit. That was fun. thought experiment, your kind of jazz odyssey. That was I did a jazz odyssey in the middle there, and uh, I, think it was a, I think it was a good time. So thanks for downloading today's episode. I hope you enjoy it. Um, one thing I would like to inform you of before you uh, continue listening is that right now you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price, a special price of £3.99 per month for six months, and that's 40% off the full price of a subscription. You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. So if you don't like listening to adverts, you should do that, because that's better. So go to theathletic.com forward slash TIFO to take advantage of this special 40% discount. But with all of this aside, we begin today's episode now with the uh, hashtag NLD. And so I will leave you in the big uh, weeping arms and the sad embrace of uh, Seb stafford Blore. Rabona. Let's begin with uh, Arsenal 2 1 Tottenham. Um, this was an interesting game. We'll come round to talking uh, more broadly about the teams, which one was better, which one wasn't good. We'll discuss that. But I'd like to start by talking about Lamella, who went full Lamella, Rabona goal, and a red card. Apparently, he's never had a red card before. That's the sort of thing that people tell you on Twitter. 
Uh, but I guess for me, that just means that he's never gone full lamella before, Seb. He's never had a red card in English football. He's never had a... He has yeah, uh, sorry, been sent uh, off once spurs, upon a time in his career. Yeah. Uh, no, very much his day, obviously. <laughs> he saw all the all the colour of his colours of his rainbow. Um, <laughs> it's a real shame, actually, because I remember thinking, after that goal went in, obviously, if you're an Arsenal Tottenham fan and you lose North London derby, you will never, ever watch that game again. And so I thought how uh, typical it would be if this ridiculous goal that's been scored here it gets lost under the weight of a, an Arsenal yeah. defeat and a terrible Spurs performance, and there it was. It, it will appear, it won't be lost because it will appear in the sort of Premier League history programmes where they say, oh, this is the game where Eric Lamella not only scored this wonderful goal, but he also got sent off. You know, so you'll be able to watch it on the, you know, I know you watch those sorts of channels, don't you? Yeah, I, I watch the channels with the football on them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My impression, uh, Alex, and I know you like to watch Lamella. Uh, my impression is that uh, Lamella has too heartily embraced occasionally uh, Mourinho's sort of messages of, um, you know, domination and power and uh, taken that to a physical reality that's manifested in a way that he, he, he wouldn't really want it to. That's possibly true. I mean, the, you could see uh, behind Lamella when he committed that foul, Mourinho sort of arches his back and looks up towards the skies. You know, he wasn't even contesting the decision and, and it could yeah. potentially even have been a straight red. But but Mourinho likes to have players who've got that bite and that nastiness. It just sometimes, I guess tips over and and if you are already on a yellow card you need to tread a very fine line particularly in a fixture like that and Lamella didn't he, he certainly didn't um <laughs> he really didn't Seb I'm going to ask you about uh fullbacks now because I feel like this mm. was um this was an interesting part of the game uh for me watching it I felt that there were two sort of players who stood out for slightly different reasons one of them was uh Kieran Tierney who's gone from strength to strength I think this season is an extremely valuable member of the team and uh has at times seemed like in some games the sole creative source or like the most most likely person to make something happen right whereas Matt Doherty on the other hand who is competing with Serge Aurier for his place obviously hasn't played quite as much as as Tierney um was talked about earlier in the season as as a fantastic bargain at his price. I think it would cost around fifteen million pounds, which you know seems stunning given his quality. But he hasn't really quite looked the part so far, has he? And in this particular game, uh, they felt like opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah, definitely. Um, actually, Kieran Tierney's form since he returned from injury has been excellent. I know that. Yeah. Uh, I know that he attracted a lot of attention last season for silly things like you know, the plastic bag stuff and that. You know that kind of thing, but what a good footballer and what a balanced fullback! I feel like he does pretty much everything that's within a fullback's remit really well, at least to a kind of seven out of ten standard. But as an attacking presence, like you know, that's a kind of eight, nine out of ten kind of contribution, just because he seems to be an actual threat. Like whereas someone like yeah. Doherty, you feel like whenever he crosses the halfway line. He's there in a kind of um, tent-pegging positional role. He's there to stretch the pitch and to provide an outlet. And um, I, don't, I don't really, I don't really agree about the quality of the signing. I, I think I did see people get a, a little bit excited about uh, Doherty when he joined, but in the main, it was more a kind of a, a landfill situation. Whereas you, 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 you acquire a fullback who is adequate 
Um, obviously, he more often played as a wing back for Wolves rather than as a fullback. Mm. I think fifteen million pounds probably above the odds a little bit as time has gone on and as his season at Spurs has got progressively worse a lot of people seem to have uh found out or remembered that Matt Doherty is a George Mendes client um which sure yeah I mean if, if you are confronted with an entire world of fullbacks to sign and that's the one you go for who I don't know had good moments at Wolves is he the future of a of that side of your team, is he a long-term answer? No, given that he's in his later twenties, latter twenties. Sorry, I just felt a bit Jose Mourinho, if you know what I mean. Well, Alex, I was going to ask you about this as well because uh, as Seb pointed out, um, he did play mostly as a wing back for Wolves, and and he's being asked to play as a as a fullback for Spurs. Uh, perhaps there's just not the same level of adaptability. I think that's possibly true. I mean, obviously he had Gareth Bale playing in front of him in this game, who wasn't doing an enormous amount in terms of defensive tracking back, which does expose uh, the fullback and also meant that Hoiberg had to pull across into that right-hand channel, which then exposed Spurs through the middle. But I think it's an interesting point because you compare Doherty's versatility with Tierney's. You know, Tierney has played as an orthodox left-back, a left-wing back, and a left-sided centre-back and seems to be very comfortable in any of those three roles, uh, whereas Doherty does seem kind of caught between maybe a natural attacking inclination. You know, he got three or four goals a season for Wolves by pushing forwards, getting into the box when crosses were coming in from the far side, making that overlapping run. He he can't really do that at Spurs because that's partly not Mourinho's game plan and he's not necessarily adapting all that well. Um but I, I think it is also a function of the fact that, you know, he just didn't get as much protection in that match and that maybe exposed him. And then it's difficult for a player because people are talking about, you know, how good the performance was in relation to a transfer fee, that kind of thing. But right back has, has been a weakness for Spurs really since Carl Walker left. So I don't think they've solved it yet. But then that's an error in selection. Gareth Bale's 31 years old. Also, Gareth Bale has a very long checkered injury history. If you pick him in that position, you're picking him to provide something quite specific. He's not a rounded player in the way that someone like uh, Steven Bergwijn might be. He's not going to perform any of the duties that a kind of a, a Musa Sissoko might do on that side of the pitch, where he can kind of drop in sometimes as an auxiliary fullback. Why would you pick those two in combination? That that I don't understand. Well, there um, was also, I mean, a, a number of. Well, I don't know, number maybe two or three one v ones that Doherty lost. I'm not sure you can really. Like, I think at that level, if you're aiming, you know, as as Jose Mourinho surely is aiming to finish in the top four with Spurs, you can't have a fullback in your team that needs a second player to deal with one opposition team player. Well, you you can't, but I think this is quite a common phenomenon because as the the emphasis has fallen on the modern fullback to attack, like their defensive attributes in a lot of players have declined. They've become less important. So. You're right, I, I completely agree. It is the individual's responsibility to win those duels. But at the same time, most managers seem to compensate for a like a kind of habitual defensive fragility that exists in those players now. I just find it, I found it quite irritating and I, I'm in a terrible mood and I'm making no apologies, lost the derby. But <laughs> I, it's quite annoying when you see, you see the right side that Spurs picked, you see the outcome that, felt inevitable from the moment the game kicked off and then at the end of it it's a 
Jose Mourinho goes in front of the sky cameras and starts pointing fingers at Gareth Bale and individual players and, you know, not showing and up. the referee. The referee, it's, it's always somebody else's fault. And I, I know this is a little bit of a Mourinho trope and sometimes we indulge it a bit too much, but it's quite frustrating because you can just see where the, the issue is going to occur before the game starts. And you also know what the explanation is going to be for those mistakes and that poor performance when the game ends. And it felt a little bit, and the, I, I know this is going to sound quite conspiratorial and I don't really believe it, but every now and again, you can you can start thinking that sometimes Jose Mourinho picks teams that enable him to explain defeats in a way that's sort of... You that know, is conspiratorial. Um, it is, but then... <laughs> It's it's frustrating. You think he, he sets though. up to lose. So he no, can no, have no. A that's not what I mean. That, what do you, no, what no, do you that, mean? That's why I heard. That, that's not what I mean. What what I mean is that there's a, a, a part of a team is built in a way that should things go wrong, there's a way of explaining it. Like the outcome, the the the, the intention is always to win the game. I accept that. Even Isn't that you, presumably true of of every team though? That there will always be an area that is the weakest area because. That's just there's always an element of risk, Joe. But I, I'd say there's a distinction between um, there being a risk and there being an area where you invite trouble. And you think Bale Doherty is your right side with uh, Tierney there, potentially with Saka uh, switching flanks at different points in the game. Um, Mourinho presumably didn't know that Aubameyang was not going to play. Uh, until you know just before kickoff, and um, I, I think I'm right in saying that um, that was a very late decision by Mikel Arteta after he arrived late. Yeah. So how is how are you buttressing that area of the side against what has been one of Arsenal's most profitable areas? We've just we've just been talking about how how good a season um, or how good a run um, Kirantini has been on, <laughs> and fairly, and yet you leave yourself exposed to that threat it's really strange would you, would i don't you, really you say mi- that you've graduated from distaste to hatred of jose Mourinho? no no not at all i just i, I just find it very difficult to understand no? his working sometimes no i don't hate jose Mourinho. i i i don't particularly care for his work okay ho- ho- hold on hold on hold on hold okay. on as a journalist okay. you don't hate yeah. jose Mourinho. i appreciate appreciate that appreciate that as a as a person as a human do you hate him God. No, he's much too strong. Much oh, too strong. you've. I he frustrates me. Coward. I don't care for the work that he's done at Tottenham. I don't like the way he's behaved at different points in his career um, on the sidelines. I think some of the incidents that he's associated with are some of the ugliest in um, the recent history of uh, European football. I don't know. Like I, some of the frustration comes from some of the things he says, not just after the game but before it. If you remember. I think it was on Thursday before the game, he made that slightly strange comment in his pre-match press conference about how, oh yeah, I, I don't look down in the table. And I just remember thinking, <laughs> because Tottenham fans <laughs> have natural paranoia, <laughs> you just think, oh, well, that's the way we lose the derby. <laughs> you can get away with saying things like that when you've won a European Cup a year ago. You can get away sure. with it when you're at the very top of your profession and your team is there to back you up. When you're, what I yeah. suppose at the moment, seventh um, and in the Europa yeah, League something. and you're Jose Mourinho and your reputation is um, on the slide a bit, I don't think that's a particularly good look. So it frustrates me. All right. Well, let's stay with Spurs then because um, as you oh, described, there sake. is a bit of a familiar... <laughs> well, I was going to move on to Arsenal, but now otherwise Dude, it's going to feel like a scissor or something. Okay, fine. We'll go to Arsenal and then we'll come back to Spurs. I only want to be brief on Arsenal, um, really really just to say that 
they seem good at the moment. I'm very excited when I watch them to see that sort of front line, uh, including Emil Smith-Rowe, Erdegaard and Saka. And I appreciate that we only got to see that three because um, Aubameyang was benched, but I didn't really mind that at all. Uh, Arsenal suddenly, in an attack, they feel, Alex, um, like quite like a team I'm quite excited to see. And it's been a long time. I'd say it's, I, I don't really feel... I, I don't really think I felt that way totally since Robin van Persie left, for example. Uh, but they're, I'm excited to watch them. Yeah, I think I think they are exciting. And I think actually that, that line-up, you know, the, the, the reason for Aubameyang's um, non-selection notwithstanding, that, that front three or front attacking three midfield of... Uh, Emil Smith-Rowe, Martin Erdegaard and Saka with Partey behind them is probably Arsenal's best lineup. I think they still need to sort out the issues up front. Lacazette, that you know, his tendency to drop off and his inability to get back forwards with the right kind of pace. Arsenal did have a number of promising attacks that, that didn't quite work because there wasn't somebody in the box uh, to get on the end of crosses, for example. But I think you can see the constituent parts of that side developing really nicely. And I think if they have some sort of, whether it's acquiring a new striker or whether it's kind of repurposing Aubameyang again as a as a genuine kind of predatory box presence or getting something more out of Lacazette, I'm not sure. But they seem to be working very well towards, you know, we, we did this video on them and their build up from the back has generally been quite good. Um you know, a couple of mistakes aside. Uh, but the problem that they've had is then progressing that into dangerous areas and getting sufficient support up there to make those attacks come to fruition. And I think they're, they, they've they sort of solved the ball progression element now. Um, they still haven't quite got enough bodies in the box, but that is coming. Uh, and there's, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to be pleased about, I think, if you're an Arsenal fan. They still have a wobble in them, though, don't they? As uh, witnessed by the last 10 minutes of this game where Spurs went down to 10 men and then completely dominated. I think uh, lots of Arsenal supporters will have been watching that thinking we're going to implode at any 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 moment. Yeah, that's a kind of mental fragility, isn't it? And, and I think you you look at that side and, and, you know, the counterpoint to it being young and exciting is, and I'm not just talking about that, you know, those attacking midfielders, but also Gabriel uh, Tierney is not exactly uh, old. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of, of youth, but also that means maybe your leadership figures on the pitch are, what, Granit Xhaka, which, <laughs> which is yeah, not exactly someone that you want to rely on to provide the right kind of leadership. I think he sometimes substitutes uh, aggression for leadership because he thinks that's the way to do it. Um Lacazette seems like quite a quiet character, um, you know, and then what is it, David Luiz and, and Cedric, again, not dominant characters in the way that you need somebody to pull a team through a difficult 10 minutes, you know, have the confidence to keep the ball, don't panic, and, and Arsenal don't have that currently, so I, I don't know whether, again, that's a new signing or whether it's just a a development Maybe of Partey mental will strength in those yeah. younger players. Well, yeah, possibly, but I, I, Partey at Atletico Madrid was not that. You know, he was a, a fantastic footballer and he did what he did extremely well, but the leadership yeah, but at No Atletico disrespect Madrid to was... Arsenal, but Atletico Madrid are really great and they've got loads of amazing players <laughs> and loads of like long-term long yeah, contract yeah, but players and lots of leaders. 
that's the point. They've got lots of leaders. So, you know, if, it is, it, is, it, is it too much then to ask a player who's not been required to do that at one club to step up and do it at a new club when they've just signed and they're uh, kind of yeah, maybe. feeling their way through that process? Possibly, possibly Yeah, maybe, not. maybe. I just, I think, I, I think, I think the reason his name comes to mind is because of the calmness on the ball in midfield and the ability to set the pace and the tone of the game. And I think, oh, you know, sure. as, as, uh, as he beds in more, I reckon he could become that sort of player. But there's two types of leader, aren't there? There's the ones that, that show by example, and then there's the ones that, that actually will, you know, have a conversation with people or shout at them if necessary. And, and you can see that, that football teams need both of those sorts, and, and Partey could very well be a kind of leader by example, but he's not necessarily going to be the sort of player who gets teammates by the scruff of the neck and says, right, this is what we need to do to see out the game. To his credit, David Luiz tried that in this game because uh, he did quite a lot of he did quite a lot of shouting and organising, which is something we've but seen he's got before. Such... I, I understand what you mean, though. He has an error. He had errors in his game, which yeah. uh, which I suppose pokes holes in that theory. But he does try. But again, he's relatively recent to Arsenal. You know, this is this is the other problem that that players take time to develop those relationships within a squad and to earn the trust of people and and have the presence to be able to have those conversations and that does develop with longevity at a club and and Arsenal don't have the the players in the right situation to be able to provide that at the moment. Well on the subject of leadership I was reading the Athletic this morning and our good friend James McNicholas reported that after the game uh 22 minutes after full time when Mikel Arteta was giving his press conference and talking about sort of the the issues with Pierre Aubameyang being over, um, everybody in the stadium could hear the roar of a Ferrari, uh, and, and Pierre Emerick Aubameyang leaving. He's got he's got um. Do you remember refresher bars when you were younger, and they're sort of the no. that kind of luminous, weird, multicolor. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So his uh, his Ferrari looks like that, and uh, yeah, he didn't uh, didn't didn't hang around after full time. It's just a bit of a weird. How long do they normally stay? Well, you usually, if you if you're a non-playing substitute, or if you've played, you know, just a few minutes, you usually take part in the warm down with the uh, the assistant coaches. So you usually see players on the pitch, probably up to a half an hour, an hour after full time, and then they, you know, hang around with the rest of their teammates. But obviously, um, he didn't take part in the the warm down, according to James, and just uh, got in his Ferrari and, and left. Which is, it's really strange if you if you've if you've broken a team discipline rule and you've been left out for good reason and uh, apparently he's been warned about being late for kind of match day um match day stuff before it's just a uh, i don't know it's a, little, it's a bit petulant for me and also hey it's you the just sort of thing i do derby. though it really is yeah but it's you but sense the mood <laughs> man like down. you just you you kind of um you know arsenal have got a really bad record against tottenham in the last couple of years and that's a really big moment for Mikel Arteta's team. You saw the way they celebrated at full time. That was more than just a, like a three points. And your captain has left. It's weird. It's really weird. I like how you're clinging on to that feeling. It's probably true. Let's talk about Spurs now because you sound too happy. Oh, um, familiar pattern. <clears throat> Mourinho Spurs sitting deep, offering nothing until the final minutes, at which point it's too late. And as we said, they far better. They were a far better team after the sending off, which was interesting. Um, I'm going to broaden the question out now to say as well that 
Spurs uh, appeared to improve over the last few weeks, and that's something that happened has happened before, and that I think is something that happens with Jose Mourinho teams, is they appear to improve over a short space of games, and you think, okay, we're getting past it now, it's fine. It's the thing that enables the 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 journey to continue for longer than it might otherwise. And, uh, you know, a few Premier League victories in a row, uh, you know, strong performances in, in Europe, crucially scoring lots of goals and the attacking unit playing well together. Uh, and then this, is it, is the improvement real? No, not really. It's, uh, <laughs> this, this, this Tottenham. Just hear the this, depression in your voice. <laughs> it's less than 24 hours later. I'm not ready for the podcast. This Tottenham team beat bad teams. They can mm. be above average teams, um, but they can also lose to above average teams and against better teams. They, um, uh, generally just do what they did yesterday now the counter to that is that somebody will say oh yes but they beat Manchester City earlier in the season and they beat Manchester United okay but at the time both of those sides were poor teams they've gone on to be in Man City's case excellent but they've improved dramatically this Tottenham performance was very similar to the one they gave uh, against Chelsea the one they gave against Leicester the one they gave against West Ham and the one they gave against Brighton and that little 10-minute flourish they have at the end where, oh, they might hit a post or there's a little bit of pressure. Okay, it shows a change in urgency from the players remaining on the pitch. There's only 10 of them yesterday, of course. But it's also a reflection of game state. We've talked about um, Arsenal's emotional fragility. And very clearly, once they had the lead, there came a point in that game where they, saw, they, well, they it suddenly occurred to them, we're in the lead here, we're facing a team with, with, with 10 men, God, it's going to be embarrassing if we if we drop points from here. And then there's a result. Because I know this because Tottenham have been in that position themselves. I know what that feels like. It's terrifying. Yeah, like you go yeah, from yeah. the moment of it's ultimate victory. It's going to be victory. even worse when we inevitably lose. It's, it's worse. No, because drawing from that position is worse than just getting battered. Because sure, you get sure. mocked. Um, and you can see the effect that it had on the players. And so Tottenham really just took advantage of that. And again, maybe they... that that. You know that that came for it made it, it made it look post. like they were in the game in a way exactly that I felt it's like for illusion. the rest of the game that they weren't the lamella goal in the first half was I think I'm right in saying the only shot they had and it I mean that's just a ridiculous moment I mean that's not a that's not a work chance it's not a real opportunity it's just a brilliant yeah, what, bit was, of what was the XG on that I mean minus four or something I don't know <laughs> <laughs> you know I just. <laughs> <laughs> it's but it's generally speaking like i think if you if you what was very disappointing for tottenham fans yesterday was that um if you accept that the games preceding this were against poor teams but the performances were generally good take out the elements of those performances that was most encouraging so um the performance the the form of gareth bale uh harry kane's goal scoring um song him min i know he got injured but he's been off form lately he looks a tired player and has done for about six weeks now Jose Mourinho's response to to that was to uh, almost make all of those sort of micro improvements redundant via his setup. It was to sit behind the ball and to treat yeah. that Arsenal team as if they were Wenger's invincibles, and it's happened yeah. again and again and again and again. And I know there are lots of people that will willingly uh, defend Jose Mourinho to the death, and fine. But if you make the same mistake, and it was a mistake because they lost the game again and again and again, 
you're going to get criticised for it, particularly if you earn what Jose Mourinho does. Also, you you treat Arsenal as a big team. I don't mean in stature. Of course, Arsenal are a big team in stature, but within the the context of this league season, Arsenal are you know a few places below you within the league. They've struggled all well, they're season. They're a mid-table they are getting side. Going, but the, the, but yeah, they are currently literally a mid-table side. I can understand to a certain extent Mourinho setting up like that against bigger teams. I think there there are scenarios in which you know you you grab a one one nil uh, win or you draw or you know you know the result is a little bit better and actually people praise him for it. So I can understand the complexity of of this sort of performance, but doing it against Arsenal this season just that that seems like the the thing that's wrong well also i think i happen to think that this arsenal team is going in a really positive direction and i think that their trajectory is um higher and uh, more positive than tottenham's because there's a lot of really good young players there but i'd say in that kind of situation what you need in that game is for your older players uh for your your bigger reputation players um to be more prominent because i think a a young player regardless of how talented he may be, is vulnerable, he's fragile. Like if he has a bad experience earlier in the game, if he's put on the back foot right from the beginning, then a young player is liable to become quite inhibited. And so in that situation, it all Tottenham really succeeded in doing on Sunday was to give Arsenal a kind of a gentle intro into the game. I know they went ahead, well, and, but at um, the same time... Their confidence. Yeah, because it, 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 you you let them play into the game. You let a vulnerable defense settle because that isn't a good defense. It's a it has good parts to it, but it's it's a work in progress. Let's say um, same with the midfield because I I think Partey is a super player, but still finding his feet in English football. And you allow you allow confidence to grow, and you allow a rhythm and a momentum to build, and you never recover. And honestly, I think I texted you guys in the WhatsApp at half time. It could have been three 0 yeah, and and yeah. I don't think Tottenham could really have have um, have complained had it been so because it was they were that bad and only the yeah. the Lamella goal disguised that. Okay, well I think you've reached your low, so Can let's do something bring you back now? up again. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I have not moving on Stop. just yet, uh, but I'm going to do something a little fun. I was a bit bored at times, and uh, during the game, just when there was nothing happening. And I thought, oh, NLD, lots of people on Twitter saying NLD, hashtag NLD, North London Derby, NLD. I thought, I bet there's something else more important than NLD, uh, North London Derby, that the NLD is an acronym for, yeah? So I looked up uh, the acronym uh, NLD to see what else it was an acronym for. Lots of things. Lots of things. The first is the Netherlands. Yep, it's the ISO country code for the Netherlands, probably more important. Oh, the National League for Democracy in Burma. I won't comment on that because I'm unaware uh, of the uh, political uh, affiliation there. Uh, The novel Linux desktop. Is that perking up yet? We've got got non-verbal learning disorder, definitely more important. Uh, Natural language dialogue, yeah. Non-linear dynamics, non-linear distortion. Here's my favourite one. Navy lighter pontoon dock. That's, uh, what does that mean? What does that mean? Don't know. I don't know what they mean, mate. I'm just saying they are. Yeah, if, you, if, you, if you look something like that up, you kind of, you're obligated to go oh, and... That's, that's going to be one of those um, temporary structures that is erected so that armies can embark or disembark I'd say that's places where true. there aren't natural docks. Yeah, that I don't makes, know why they I, haven't I, prioritized I know what that P. is less as a result of that explanation. <laughs> it's a temporary docking area. 
I've just made that incredibly clear to you. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you, Alex. I think Seb's still upset. Let's carry on. Nervous yeah. little dogs, apparently, as well. <laughs> um, nice little double. A gaming talk. Well, listen, it was made up on the internet, so that's fine. Uh, here's my favourite one. Normalised Levenstein distance. Or oh, Levenstein distance, but I think probably Levenstein. And Seb, this is where my curiosity did grab hold, because I thought, what the fuck is normalised Levenstein distance? So I looked it up. Yeah, I did this during the game, by the way. This is why I've got nothing to say about the football. A numerical value for the distance between two words. For example, if you want to turn rain into shine, what's the numerical number? What's the Levenstein distance? So you re uh, replace the R with the S, you then replace the A with the H, and you insert an E, and that means the edit distance is three, because you can have a delete, an insert, or a uh, replace. Uh, and then you got three. And so I thought, what if I spend some valuable time here and I work out the Levenstein distance between Arsenal and Spurs, right? <laughs> so I wrote it down and I did it. You turn the A into the S, you insert a P and a U, and then you delete uh, uh, Unal. So that the the uh, the normalised Levenstein distance between Arsenal and Spurs is seven, which amazingly was the same number of points distance between them uh, before the game started. So, you know, that's why I spent my time doing uh, normalised Levenstein uh, distance there, seven. Last week, I was, uh, during an idle moment, I looked up the uh, UK football podcast charts and found out that we were inside the top ten. And <laughs> yes, there isn't a Jack moment is when there. I find that absolutely <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> well, you know... No one, none of the other podcasts are talking about the Navy Lighter it's, Pontoon Dark, are they? It's more the ones that we're ahead of. It's super serious and just, you know, uh, all the football. And then and then we, we dedicate like 10 minutes to Joe's <laughs> acronym, stats, quotes, facts, database. And the listeners keep I rolling also, in. I also well, I'm very, very grateful. Though. But, you know, it's No, no, it's hold on, hold on. Because I also wrote down uh, Tierney <laughs> is good at lots of things. But my favourite is the speed he can cross the ball at when he's running really fast. Wrote that down too, mate. So, uh, oh, football podcast. Anyway, we'll be hey, back. Hey, did anyone in... chew gum? Did anyone chew gum? More importantly, yes, someone did. Keeping a, a, um, okay. A Alex texted me to say someone did. Who was it, Alex? I didn't text you to say that. Was it Shane Long, Alex? Because he always chews gum. Someone did. I, 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 I pointed out that Arsenal would lose, uh, would win 2-1 immediately after the Rabona goal. I felt no, very No one cares about, about your predictions, mate. No one cares about you, that. You, we you, care weren't, about the you weren't predicting. You were snarking at me. Yeah, like, that's true. He was snarking. That's, 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 that's draw a distinction there. It was please. also accurate. Oh, I bet Spurs do something disappointing from here. That's like fishing for fish. <laughs> yeah, you can't have that one. Barrel off, off an dynamite. NLD. <laughs> fishing for fish with a barrel of fish. <laughs> I've had a very trying day. Right, let's we've got to end this now. We'll be back after this break to talk about uh, other things, basically. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Fishing for fish with a barrel of fish. It's Manchester United 1, nil West Ham. There's only two things to say here. One of them is that Solskjaer's live coaching of the forwards during the game could be heard clearly uh, he was very specific, mostly to uh, Rashford and Greenwood, sometimes to Dan James, and it was quite interesting to hear because I mean it was kind of I mean I say live coaching because he was literally telling them where to stand. It's inarguable that they've uh, they've all improved during uh, during his coaching. So I wonder if that's just a little a little flexing, a little example of uh, of uh, his his good coaching ability there. No one has anything to say about that. No. Not really. I mean, I, no. no. I mean, yes. Fuck me. Good, yeah, good I, on I cannot him. believe we're in the top ten <laughs> football podcasts. Just me well, carrying. I mean, no one of my fucking backs hurting all the time. He's a former striker, so he's probably good at coaching strikers. <sighs> There's that snark. There it is, Seb. Uh, okay, uh, Paul Pogba is 28 today. That's the other thing as we record. 28 years old. I write this down only because 28 feels like one of those ages where you start to get old in football. You wake up and something hurts or you never feel quite well or healthy. There's always a something that's troubling you. You feel like that, that's like <laughs> things like that don't happen before 28, but they definitely happen after it. So you can we not you know, record you, you with Seb immediately after a Spurs defeat ever he's again? So, he's so, he's so just depressing me. <laughs> <laughs> the way you're oh, saying everything that everything is... hurts. <laughs> it's so miserable. I'm supposed to be the one that derails this podcast, not both of you. Let's move on to talk about Fulham nil three Manchester City. City used a back three, which I don't think you said they haven't done since near the beginning of the season. Uh, yeah, they did it against Arsenal way way back. Um, it, the thing with City, and I think this is the reason it's interesting, is that. A City back three kind of also looks like a back four at times, looks like a back two at times. John Stones was almost operating as a right back occasionally and getting forwards on the overlap. Cancelo was tucking so far inside he was like a central midfielder. And it was just very interesting to see this incredibly uh, fluid level of tactical awareness um, having switched from a back four to a back three for, for a one-off game. And I'm, I'm not really sure why that was done. It may have just been a selection thing who was available. But City have got a squad of uh, of such flexible and intelligent players now that they can kind of play any system they want. And it just looks good and works really, really well. But I think it bodes well for Stones particularly, because he was able to play, like I say, at times like a right back, at times like a defensive midfielder almost, um, getting forwards. And I think he's come into form at just the right time for England. He's been absolutely integral to how Manchester City have developed over the last couple of months. And yeah, he's he was really, really impressive. Okay, also Fulham are still good, somebody's written in here. And also with Brighton, uh, seemed too good to to go down. Uh, I noticed that n- nobody said Newcastle seemed too good to go down. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Newcastle have got this weird kind of just about scrape through resilience. Um, Fulham and Brighton are both 
really trying to play football. Um, you know, Fulham were seeking to play out from the back. Harrison Reed was dropping really deep to try and pivot. They've got players like Anguissa who can carry the ball forwards. And they were, they were a good attacking threat, even against a very, very strong City side. Brighton, I thought, were pretty good against Southampton. We weren't great, so it wasn't that difficult. But it's it's sides that are trying something who seem to be in danger, um, whereas Newcastle will just kind of stolidly brush their way through without ever looking exciting or interesting. Um, it's a bit I depressing. I don't know if they really. will anymore. I mean, there's um, we've got Brighton, we've got Fulham, who, as you say, maybe are doing something exciting, maybe looking a little... Looking like they're trying something. Newcastle currently 28 points, two points above, I guess a game in hand on, on the bottom three. Uh, so, th- you know, if it was anybody else, you might say five points theoretically above, but more likely to be three. Uh, Brighton just above them. So Brighton three points clear of the bottom three with a game in hand. Uh, I think, I, I personally, I still think it's very much between Fulham and Newcastle. What do you think, Seb? Yeah, I agree with you. And also, I would always put my money on the happier group of players the happier collection of personalities which Newcastle most certainly isn't um, and if you you know conversely if you listen to Fulham's players talk about Scott Parker they're all in they want to play for him they want to succeed and I think you're seeing evidence of perhaps you know evidence of their progress on the pitch even if they aren't quite getting the points they deserve for it I, I watched Plus Newcastle the Scott for- Parker streets memes are, are some of the most fun aren't they Hey, and we want more of that next season. So you know you can't really get away with some of those um, some of those jackets in in the championship. So we need him to stay in the Premier League. I, I think it'd be great if he did, uh, because I think what you can see with with Fulham is that they are they're very clearly working towards a certain style of play. Um, yeah, and this is one of the reasons why you know Mitrovic, for example, who is a relatively proven Premier League level scorer and a big physical threat and a pain in the ass to play against has only been used as a sub by Fulham because they're working towards something much more fluid. You've got the those wide players splitting, Ruben Loftus-Cheek making runs through the centre, uh, a lot of dynamism coming from Anguissa particularly. So there's a there's a really nice style that they're developing there. I wonder whether... It, it's interesting you mentioned Mitrovic because to me Mitrovic was one of the... has been one of the problems this season because... He turned up clearly hasn't really been fit at any point. And because he was their sort of feature centre forward, he's been their sort of their plan A. He's been the the player they were supposed to build this side around. And without him, they've, I mean, actually to the benefit, because I've, I've been really impressed by Adam Ola-Lukman this year. I think he's been really, really good. He's kind of been the, he's been the player we all knew he probably could be during that period at Everton. And when he, the first spell he had at Leipzig as well, when he was so impressive, second spell, not, not so great. But Mitrovic has, the Mitrovic situation to me is actually, uh, it's accentuated, um, which made Scott Parker's job harder. And as a result, my reaction to him has been better because it looks more impressive. His coaching performance has been better because he's had to coach his way around this Mitrovic issue. I think that's exactly right. He's he's solved a problem by thinking much more progressively and and making stylistic tweaks rather than trying to shoehorn somebody else into that Mitrovic role. He's looked at what his other available forwards are good at doing, which is running into the channels, getting in behind, driving them with the ball at pace and not being such a focal point. And and so he's adapted. And I think that's, that is really good. He's He's been impressive, I think. Okay, we'll be back after this uh, to talk very briefly about a couple of games that happened on the continent. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Hello listeners, sorry to interrupt your show, but we've got a small favour to ask. We're currently doing a bit of a survey to find out more about you, your podcast listening habits and the sort of adverts that are most relevant to you. If you feel like helping, please head to surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. That's pretty catchy, so I'll say it one more time. Surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. Thank you. Welcome to the sunlit uh, land of places that are colder and warmer than where you are now. And the first one of those is Getafe. Nil. Nil. Atletico. Seb, time-wasting. Oh, God. I, if I'd had any vested interest in this game, <laughs> honestly, I, it, it might have it given me a stroke. It, it was... So, after 70 minutes, um, Getafe uh, rightly had a player sent off for terrible terrible tackle Alan Neom who you may remember from his, his time at Watford and West Brom and then from that point on I think every stoppage in play ended or was elongated by a Getafe quote-unquote head injury or a cramp it was the most amazing display of time wasting I think I've ever seen and I don't blame Getafe for it they were in a difficult situation against a really good side it's more about how weak referees are and how ill-equipped the game is to compensate or fight back and police um, time wasting, because yeah. at the end of it, every time this would happen, uh, when you know a Gattafi player would go down, the referee would spend you know a minute telling everybody to calm down with his you know his gestures, and you know I think he booked a, an Atletico uh, substitute at one point, and then he got to the 90th minute, added four minutes on wasted one of it by booking the Getafe goalkeeper for time-wasting, didn't add it on to the four minutes, blew after about 94 minutes and eight seconds. And then everyone just walked off and just thought, this is just, it's just a con. Like I, if I was an Atletico Madrid supporter, I just, it would just drive me crazy. And it's so bad enough as a neutral. a video about this, like about, I don't know, a year, maybe more ago. More, longer, And I remember, I'm, I might yeah. be, um, I might be misremembering. So go and look for it on Tifo's YouTube channel. But I think the average amount of um, extra time, additional time that should be played for actual stoppages in a pre in an average Premier League game is about 13 minutes. And the game with the uh, the fewest minutes played was it was something like uh, Cardiff. It was Bolton Cardiff against it Burnley was... in the Premier League Cardiff, a couple Burnley? of years ago. Yeah, a couple of years so. ago, and, it... and the, the the amount of the ninety minutes actually played was forty two or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and 
I don't know. I it think feels I'm, like a yeah. I agree with you. That was a, that was a good video actually. We had lots. It's of a good video. I, I alternatives. think. I mean, you, you mentioned Joe that we we did that a couple of years ago, and so this may have changed. But I think the average amount of um, in play time um, for the ball then was around fifty eight minutes, fifty nine minutes, something like that. Right. And yeah. I'm bringing. I, I've been triggered by an extreme example. I, I accept that, but it's just it was really exciting because Getafe were holding on and. You know, Atletico were gradually getting stronger and knocking the door and they brought on Musa Dembele and Jao Felix was starting to find space. And you thought, yeah, I could do with another 10 minutes of this because it's, it's just really gripping from a, you know, if you... Well, the referee's probably interest. a Real Madrid fan, isn't he, eh? That's how it works. <laughs> you just feel Obviously a bit cheated. not actually saying that, by the way, just to clarify. Don't actually think that. Go on, Seb. I don't like the idea that wasting time is allowed to be a legitimate tactic in that situation. Because not allowing the ball to be in play, that's that's not the game. Like, I want to see, you know, because had they added on, um, you know, another five minutes and had Getafe still held on, um, you'd think, okay, well, that's a fantastic adaption to being uh, a man down. Well done, great defending, some really good goalkeeping in that game as well. And yet it's a kind of, no, no, well done. You've managed to have nine cramps in 21 minutes. Good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, in in uh, in other news, uh, there's a cool bit of sportsmanship at the end of the Ibar Villa Villarreal game that, you, that you'd like to talk about as a as a sort of palate cleanser. Yeah, obviously, by the time this game came around on Sunday night, I was quite vulnerable, um, and I needed a little pick me up, and they provided it. So um, <laughs> did, they, did and, they though? Because you're no, still I'm not miserable. Sure they did, so. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it was temporary. But I felt you know a slight sort of glowy warmness afterwards, um, like drugs. <laughs> So it was in the sort of the the final minutes of uh, Ibar against Villarreal. Villarreal were leading 2-1 and uh, Pedrasa went through on goal. Sort of typical, you know, counter-attacking with Ibar pressing for an equaliser. He went through on goal on um, Dimitrovic and forced him into a really good save. But then um, the ball bounced up and he volleyed in the third goal, which um, settled the game and Villarreal three points. And on his way to celebrate... He and Dimitrovic kind of high-fived in a nice little great save, but also great volley finish. Nice. I really liked it. Oh. Go and look it up. That is nice. This is the sort of thing you would only notice and feel nice about when you're feeling very low. It's like yeah. when I uh, feel sad and I go and watch <laughs> videos about people rescuing dogs. You know, it's, uh, it's the same thing, isn't it? You don't care for that kind of stuff if you're feeling fine. But if you're feeling low... Seb's version of a rescued dog right there. It's Joe's Quotes and Facts Database. Oh yes, it's the database. Welcome to the database. Uh, we've got a fun one today. And in honour of your valiant boys, Seb, I've chosen two Spurs players. Uh, so... We can bring you back to the doldrums, but we we, we needn't really because this is this is this is quite fun. So the first one is uh, Sergio Rigulon. Sergio Rigulon, uh, according to LifeBogger.com, and I, I'm informed I said this wrong last time. I thought it was LifeBlogger, but it's not. <laughs> it's LifeBogger.com. You really should check out LifeBogger.com. Sergio's nickname is Aria, which translates to squirrel. And this is because when he was a child, he used to like climbing street lights, trees, and quote anything that was climbable. So there you go. He's a rear, the squirrel. And uh, Sergio Rigilonza quote is, "I know that one day I'll be able to succeed at Real Madrid." 
Okay. Uh, the next uh, player Brilliant. is fantastic. Uh, hmm? Thank you. <laughs> Good for him. Uh, the next, well done. yes, exactly. <laughs> Good job. Well done. Uh, uh, Hugo Loris. Hugo Loris. Everybody's favourite Loris uh, is is Hugo. Uh, he is a goalkeeper, of course. Uh, now, this is a little bit interesting. I went on. I went on a little bit of a uh, went down a little bit of a wormhole with uh, Hugo Loris um, because the first thing I read about him in his Wikipedia page. I don't know if either of you know this maybe you you recognize him as a member of your own group but he's described as being born into uh, an upper class family no is there, i guess there's a separation between the 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 french and the uh, english i guess you wouldn't necessarily know him but uh, anyway he's uh, he's described as being born into an, an upper class family <clears throat> his mother was a lawyer his father a banker and they named him after the famous French writer Victor Hugo, who wrote, among other classics, the novel Les Miserables, uh, which I'm sure many listeners will, will either know the novel or will uh, uh, be aware of it because it was turned uh, into a musical by a Tory lord. And uh, also lots of uh, film adaptations there too, the one with Hugh Jackman. Ah, bon appetit, lovely stuff. Uh, Victor Hugo was also a poet, though, Seb. And if you needed some cheering up, this probably isn't going to help, uh, because he wrote a poem called The Patience of the People. Right? <laughs> and I thought for you and for Spurs fans, I should recite this very short poem, <clears throat> because um, I feel like you're going to need some patience, and you're, you're one of the people. Uh, and so let's just all let's all listen to this uh, and keep in mind um, the the result of the game, the situation with uh, with Jose Mourinho and uh, and Victor Hugo. And the poem poem goes like this: How often have the people said, "What's power? Who reigns soon is dethroned. Each fleeting hour has onward borne, as in a fevered dream. Such quick reverses, like a judge supreme, austere but just." They contemplate the end, to which the current of events must tend. Self-confidence has taught them to forbear, and in the vastness of their strength they spare. Armed with impunity, for one in vain, resists a nation, they let others reign. <laughs> so prescient. Anyway, that was, um, that's a uh, victor. Victor Hugo, and uh, Hugo Lloris's quote was, I was a big fan of Pete Sampras. So there we go. That's um, that's the end of uh, Joe's Player Quotes and Facts database. Thanks for joining us in the database today. And indeed, thanks for joining us on the, the podcast today. That brings us to an end there, a rather solemn uh, note to the ending, or indeed a solemn overtone throughout, because we've been joined by Solemn Seb. Uh, but uh, Seb, I hope you improve uh, mood-wise throughout the week because uh, I do have to speak to you every day. So I'm hoping that we'll get a little bit more energy up in there uh, because I don't want to be bummed out. You know what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, I hope you'll feel better. But at the same time, what I'm really saying is that I, you, you should at least pretend to for my sake because I don't want you bringing me down to where you are. I mean, I feel like you haven't always applied that logic. Alex, it's, it's great to have you back as you, well. You, you, um, uh, we, we had fun last week, of course, uh, but lovely to have you back. And uh, I hope uh, that you're settling in well into your new into your new home. I know things are a little different now that your parents aren't there, but, um, you know, you can always call them at night time or, you know, you can leave a little night light on and uh, just remember to turn the taps off uh, when you're running a bath uh, after it's full and uh, also remember to fully cook the food so that it's piping hot in the middle uh, before you eat it so that you don't get uh, sick, yeah? 
Thank you, Joe. That's very good advice. No problem at all. Uh, Tipos listeners, uh, valued friends, thanks so much for today. And uh, we will be back on Friday to talk about all of the European treasures that Midweek has in store for us. So for now, thanks uh, as always uh, to producer Adonis and uh, thanks for downloading. See you later. Au revoir. The Athletic.